Well, this morning we are looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, so you may wish to turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, let us hear God's word. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, the passage before us this morning, very well-known passage. I'm sure you've heard many sermons on this passage. It's a passage that is designed principally to instill confidence and assurance in the heart of every single believer. That is its main aim The aim of uh, the, the preacher in what he says here in these words is to assure the heart of every single believer in the Lord Jesus. He has just come to the end of a long section of exhortation that we've been considering the past few weeks where he has issued some very uh, serious warnings, very solemn warnings uh, to the church to which he's writing about the, the threats that exist uh, in the life of a Christian, threats that exist um, to the, the, the faith of, of a believer. He has, for example, talked about the danger that people in the church face of hardening their hearts and falling away from the living God. And whilst he doesn't want in any way to dilute the seriousness or the reality of those warnings, they are real warnings, they're not hypothetical, neither, at the same time, does our preacher want to make genuine Christians tremble with fear that they might indeed lose their salvation. He wants them to take his warnings seriously. He wants them to heed his exhortation, to press on, He wants them to strive with all of their might. But he wants them to do these things in a spirit of total assurance. In a spirit of absolute assurance that they will indeed get to the end, that they will indeed make it to their home in heaven. And what we see in the passage before us this morning is that the way the preacher seeks to assure his congregation is by lifting their eyes up to the Lord Jesus Christ and by telling them that they have in Jesus a great high priest. This is the central truth of our passage this morning, that Jesus is our great high priest. He's already spoken back in chapter 2 and verse 17 about Jesus being our merciful and faithful high priest. He's then gone on to speak Uh, about the faithfulness in particular of Jesus as our high priest. And here, 
And in the section following our verses this morning, he speaks more particularly about the mercy of Jesus, our high priest. And here he tells us three things about our great high priest, three things that are intended to instill in you absolute confidence and absolute assurance that by God's grace you will persevere to the end and that you won't won't in any way lose your salvation. And the first truth that he highlights for us is this, that our great high priest is one who himself persevered to the end. Our great high priest is one who himself persevered to the end. Since then, verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now here the key phrase is that phrase, passed through the heavens. As Christians, we are a confessing people. We have a confession to make. And... As Christians, we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, eternally divine, one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit in the glory of the Trinity. We confess that Jesus Christ is our great high priest, a subject that we'll be considering as we go through the book of Hebrews in more detail. And we confess that Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens. He has ascended on high. He has returned to his home in heaven and there he has been crowned with glory and with honor. And confessing this truth, knowing this to be true, should give you full assurance of faith. Why? Well, because the phrase passed through the heavens encapsulates the wonderful truth that Jesus has completed His mission of salvation. This phrase, passed through the heavens, signifies that Jesus Christ has fully accomplished his mission to save all of his people. It highlights to us that he who was sent into the world from heaven, sent by his father in order to save sinners has now returned to heaven, having fulfilled all that he came to do. That's what this phrase signifies to us. To put it another way, the fact that Jesus has passed through the heavens, and of course what is implied there is that he's now in highest heaven at the Father's right hand, the fact that he has passed through the heavens shows that Jesus himself successfully persevered all the way to the end. As the Son of God, he came into the wilderness of this world and he became man, sharing, as as we learned back in chapter 2, in our flesh and in our blood. And he was tried and he was, he was tested as that self-humbled God-man. But unlike the Israelites in the wilderness that the author has been considering in his long section of exhortation, Jesus did not fail to enter God's Sabbath rest, as they did. Jesus did not harden his heart in unbelief, but he pressed on by faith in his Father, not once falling, not once failing. 
And now, having passed through the heavens, Jesus has sat down at God's right hand. Jesus persevered all the way to the end. And the reason that this should give you absolute assurance that you too will endure all the way to the end is because Jesus has done this in his capacity as your great high priest. Remember what the role of a priest was. The role of a priest was to represent the people to God. The role of a prophet was to represent God to the people. But the role of a priest was to represent the people to God. To stand in their place. To act on their behalf. To bring them in his, in himself before God's throne. And what this means is that all that Jesus did as our great high priest. He did for us. He did for our sake. He did in our place and on our behalf. Jesus' life of perfect obedience. Jesus' atoning death for sin. Jesus' rising to everlasting life. Jesus' ascension to heaven. Jesus' intercession at God's right hand. All done for you. For his people whose names are written on his hands and hidden in his heart. Everything that he did. He did as your great high priest. As your priestly representative. What the author is basically saying here is this. Because Jesus has passed through the heavens. So too will you. Because Jesus persevered to the end. So too will you. Therefore, resting in this absolute assurance, hold fast your confession. Knowing that you will persevere, persevere. You do need to persevere. There is a clear imperative. You do need to hold fast. That's a command. But you see, your holding fast should not be marked in any way by any worry or by any anxiety or by any fear that you might not hold fast. Your holding fast should instead be marked and characterized by a sure and a certain and a confident knowledge that you will indeed hold fast. Your perseverance should be marked by absolute assurance that because... Jesus is your great high priest who has on your behalf passed through the heavens. So therefore will you. Now, of course, holding fast is not easy. There would have been no need for the preacher to give such a long exhortation if holding fast, if persevering, if being and living as a Christian were easy. It's not 
It's hard. Yes, you can be confident that you will reach your final destination. Every Christian ought to be confident, sure that they will reach their final destination. But the journey there is difficult. It's dangerous. It's fraught with many threats and temptations. Temptations that threaten to derail you in your pilgrimage. And this is why it's so helpful to know that having passed through the heavens, Jesus continues to be your great high priest there in heaven. And that there in heaven, seated on his throne, he is full of sympathy. And this brings me to my second point this morning. You can be absolutely sure as a Christian because your great high priest himself persevered to the end. But secondly, you can have real assurance as a Christian because your great high priest enthroned in heaven is full of sympathy towards you. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Do you ever worry that because Jesus has now passed through the heavens and been highly exalted to God's right hand, that he now, as it were, stands aloof and somewhat disinterested? That he is too exalted too high and lifted up to really care about you in your earthly struggles. If you do, then this verse assures you that Jesus truly does care very deeply for you. In fact, I would say that this verse teaches you that the love and the care and the sympathy of Jesus's Heart, his human heart, have, if anything, been heightened. They have been enlarged since his entrance into glory. Here we are told that Jesus is not unable to sympathize with you in all of your weaknesses. That Double negative. It's interesting, he doesn't say he is able, he says he is not unable to sympathize. And I think he uses the double negative to emphasize the fact that Jesus really, really uh, sympathizes with you. That Jesus' heart burns with a most strong and, and a capacious sympathy for you. It depicts, I think, the increased intensity of Jesus' sympathy for his people now that he is in heaven, that heart, which we must say pulsated with absolutely perfect sympathy while he was here on earth, now pulsates with what we might call a gloriously perfect sympathy. Now he is in heaven. He had perfect sympathy in his state of humiliation, maximal sympathy, but now he has entered into a, a glorious state of exaltation. And there is, I think, a sense in which his heart has become even larger with sympathy and mercy and compassion. You need to know, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ, your great high priest, 
could not sympathize with you any more than he does. As your most tender and gentle high priest, Jesus suffers along with you. That's the literal meaning. He suffers along with you in all of your weaknesses. He is afflicted with your affliction, afflictions. He feels for you. He identifies with you in all of your various weaknesses that you experience as frail and fragile and fallen human beings. He sees you in all of your suffering, in all of your temptations, in all of your trials. He sees you in all of your many weaknesses and that arouses within his heart the most profound and the most intense sympathy. As Thomas Goodwin once so very rightly said, your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. Yes, Jesus is displeased with us when we sin. But our sins move him to pity more than they do to anger. Your priest does not break you when you are bruised. Your priest does not quench you or snuff you out when you are burning so very, very faintly. He reaches out to you in all of his gloriously perfect heavenly sympathy. We, I think, can be so very, very hard on ourselves at times. We can be harsh and cruel towards others. We can be harsh and cruel towards ourselves. Jesus has no hardness, no cruelty, no callousness in his heart. Jesus is perfect love, perfect gentleness. And he sympathizes with you as one who has himself been tempted in every respect as you are. Yet without sin. Now this is what qualifies Jesus to be your most sympathetic high priest. What qualifies Jesus to be your sympathetic high priest is that he in his unfallen human nature suffered as a man. And in his sinless humanity he suffered temptations just as we do. In fact... Jesus suffered from temptations far more than we ever will. No man ever suffered like Jesus. No man ever was tempted as Jesus was. Not, of course, from within himself, but from without. Jesus felt the full weight and pain. He felt the white-hot heat of satanic temptation to its fullest degree. Temptations which I think were focused primarily on getting him not to endure to the end. Temptations that were focused on trying to stop him from going to the cross. From fulfilling the mission that his father sent him on. But not once did Jesus fall. Jesus' whole life 
was one of the most unremitting, searing temptation, but he resisted it all. Though he was tempted to sin in every way and at all times, nevertheless, at all times and in every way, Jesus was without sin. And this experience that Jesus went through in his flesh means that he is now fully able to sympathize with you. He really knows what you go through day by day. You know, some people think wrongly that Jesus isn't fully able to sympathize with them Because he didn't ever sin. He doesn't know what it's like to sin, which is true. Therefore, he can't really fully sympathize with me because I sin. That's a wrong way to think. One theologian puts it like this. He says the following. Listen carefully. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. I'll read that again. I think it's so important. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. You see, brothers and sisters, it's precisely because Jesus experienced the strongest possible temptation to sin and yet was without sin, That he is fully able, not unable, to sympathize with you so much. And in addition to that, the fact that Jesus not once sinned, not once succumbed to temptation, means not only that he is fully able to sympathize with you, but that he is fully able to help you in all of your temptations. Indeed, I think that is the nuance of this idea of Jesus sympathizing with us. It's not simply a fellow feeling. It is that. It's not simply having a tender heart. It is that. But it is having this ability to help us in all of our weakness. Imagine there were two sick men lying side by side in hospital. They could have some fellow feeling, couldn't they? I know what it's like for you to be sick, and I know what it's like for you to be sick. But there's a sense in which that wouldn't do them any good. What they need is a doctor to heal them, to make them better. This is who the Lord Jesus is, one who not only 
fully sympathizes with you in all of your weakness and struggles and temptations, but who is able to give you all of his help in your weakness and struggles and temptations. He is the one who comes to you and he says to you, I know exactly what you are going through. I know what it's like to be weak. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to suffer. In fact, I know what these things are like far more than you do. I remember what it was like. I've not forgotten what it was like now that I'm in heaven. I still remember the pain I went through. And so I fully sympathize with you. Believe that. But please also know that my sympathy is not mere sentiment. My sympathy is a strong sympathy. It's a sympathy that will help you. So come to me. Come to me and get the help that you need. Point number three. Our great high priest is one who is ever ready to help us. Ever ready to help us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Now here, brothers and sisters, is the most wonderful invitation that the Lord holds out to you. Draw near to me. Draw near to my throne of grace. And the idea really behind this invitation is draw near again and again and again. Keep on drawing near. And do so with confidence. Do so with absolute boldness. Not not irreverently, not flippantly, but do come with absolute assurance and confidence. Why? Because I'm sitting there on the throne. And I am your very, very sympathetic high priest. I want you to draw near. This is Jesus inviting you. I want you to draw near. I want you to keep drawing near. I love it when you draw near to me. Please don't think that I ever get irritated with you or that I never have time for you. Please don't think that I ever think to myself, oh, not him again, not her again. I love it when you come to me. So keep on coming to me. I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. And I will give you all the help you need. I will give you all the mercy you need to forgive you, to cleanse you, to pardon you. When you stumble and when you fall in your pilgrimage in this wilderness, I'll pick you up again. Don't worry about that. And I will give you the grace to enable you to persevere. I'll take you by the hand all the way home. Yes, you have to persevere, but I'm the one holding you. I'll give you all the grace you need to strive and to persevere. Draw near, brothers and sisters. Draw near again and again and again to Jesus' throne of grace. This is a wonderful privilege. You know, this is something that old covenant believers couldn't do really under the mosaic covenant 
Who could draw near to the throne of grace? In the inner sanctuary of the temple. Only the high priest. And he but once a year with the blood of sacrifice. On the day of atonement. But now Jesus has come. The true high priest. The great high priest. The most excellent high priest. The final high priest. And he has entered into the inner sanctum of heaven itself with the blood of his own sacrifice, making full atonement for all of our sin. And as a result, we all enjoy in him immediate access into the very presence of God. You see, it's because of the Lord Jesus. It's because he is your great high priest who gave himself for you that you can draw near again and again and again to the throne of grace and be absolutely certain that when you draw near, you will be received. You'll never be turned away. So make full use of this privilege. Accept this invitation that Jesus has so graciously given to you. You know how much Donald John loves going to the Highlands. He's not there today, by the way. But you know how much he loves going to the Highlands, how he sees it almost as God's own land. And I imagine that Donald John would go there every day, if only he could. But alas, he can only go once or twice a year. You can go to heaven every single day. Through Jesus, by the Spirit, You can enter into heaven above as you draw near to that throne of grace. And when you do so, there you will be met by your most merciful and gracious high priest who is ever ready to help you. So rest assured, people of God, Christian brothers and sisters, you will endure to the end you can enjoy indeed you ought to enjoy full assurance of faith not because of anything you have done but because of all that Jesus Christ has done as your great high priest his own perseverance guarantees yours His sympathy comforts you, strengthens you, and sustains you in all of your weakness that you experience in the wilderness of this world. And you can always draw near to his throne of grace. And from there you will always receive the mercy and the grace to help you in your time of need. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is your great high priest. Jesus Christ is in himself the assurance of your faith. Amen.